Hey, good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here, senior pastor at Coastal. And uh, man, what a great morning. I'm so glad you decided to join us in worship. I wanted to introduce a new series that we're gonna be doing over the next four weeks called Connected. And it really flows from the nature of our God. Our God is lives in community. He is a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And He lives in community and out of His nature, we live in community. He's created us for community. And so we wanna talk about four really important relationships that we have over the next four weeks. One, we'll talk about a relationship with God. And if you're disconnected from your creator, none of the other earthly relationships you have will make sense. And so we wanna to talk to you about how to be connected to God. Number two, we wanna be about the family, right? Our family is a key relationship here on earth. And and it flows from the cornerstone of knowing our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it's also the cornerstone of discipleship. Thirdly, we wanna talk about our relationship with others in the community and how, what has God left us here to do? How do we serve others? And then finally, the fourth relationship is that of our church family. And how has God knitted us to be in community in our local churches? And so we really believe these four key relationships will help you in all of your relationships here on earth in this series called Connected. This morning, I want to talk about the idea that God has made us for relationships. And he's done that uh, because the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God. One God, three persons, co-equal, all right? I'll never be able to explain the mystery of the Trinity uh, out of that for your mind to get your head around. But our God is in relationship with himself. So to know our God, yes, is to be in relationship with him. And we're going to talk about that today. But he's also knitted us up for relationship with others. And you will not be able to figure out your earthly relationships of family, neighbors, work people, others, and, and church life unless you first have your relationship right with God. But relationship with others is the overflow of knowing the God of the Bible. Now, in our current culture, uh, the current idol of the culture is to put, instead of putting the God of the Bible at the center of your being, I would call that worship, okay? Uh, in Romans 1, the Apostle Paul says it's not a matter of if you worship, it's a matter of what you worship. Everybody in this room, every person you know is a worshiper. Their heart, the center of their being is captured by something, okay? And so the current culture is captured by self, okay? So self is on the throne of the heart of our culture. And in that, there's, it's creating all kinds of confusion in the culture. And the way that you can tell if self is being elevated to the object of worship is language like this. And you guys will hear this language. You, you just need to trust your heart or follow your heart. How many of y'all have heard that kind of language? Okay, that is, the, that is the idol of self, right? You need to, or you'll hear this if you're, you know, you're watching anything on TV, you need to, to put yourself first, right? Have you ever heard that? Like, make sure you put yourself first. That, that's the idol of self. Our, uh, our most recent... Uh, Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, when she was interviewed to be a Supreme Court Justice, was asked, if you remember this, she was asked to define what is a woman, okay? And does anybody remember her answer? Anybody remember her answer? I'm not a biologist, it was her answer. Now, what's fascinating to me about that answer, I think she thought that she was uh, encouraging and placating to the LBGTQ community. 
But the LBGTQ community is not arguing that gender is a biological construct. Biology is the argument of the Christians. We would say that God at conception knitted up, that's why we were pro-life, we want to protect babies, pre-born babies, because at the moment of conception, God is doing something. The psalmist says, he knit me, I was knitted up in my mother's room. The hands of God are knitting, okay? And so biologically, it is life at conception, and gender is set at biologically at conception by Almighty God. That's the argument of the Christians. And so what surprised me is that the LBGTQ plus community didn't raise their hand to Supreme Court Jackson's go, no, no, no. That's not our argument. Our argument is that gender is a psychological construct. Everybody with me? And so you're wondering, like, how are we so confused in our culture? Because one is based on God and biology and science, and other is based on psychology, and it's the rise of the modern self being put on the throne and saying, not only do I get to determine truth or my relationship with you, I get to even determine my gender if I want to. And because it's psychological, it's fluid, right? I could be this one day and this another day. And I want to tell you, if you have, I've, I've highlighted this book a couple times. If you haven't written it down, you need to write it down. You need to read this book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. will really, really help you understand the culture that you're swimming in, okay? But until we have the right foundation of what we worship at the center of our being, there, none of our other earthly relationships will make any sense. Everybody with me? And so today I want to, uh, and so if you're a longtime Christian, in some ways this is a really, really simplistic message, uh, but I think it's really, really important that we're reminded of what is at the cornerstone of our being, or what I might call worship, all right? So here it is, Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, says the prophet Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches, okay? So when we're talking about worship, the center of our being, the core of who we are, Jeremiah is saying you cannot put yourself on the throne. Not your wisdom, not your strength, not your wealth. If you do that, you're going to have a train wreck in your life. All right, verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, knows the Lord. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So here we go. Let me give you, make four points that I hope will encourage you this morning and challenge you. Number one, you were warned by the prophet Jeremiah that you cannot be, you are not the cornerstone. If you are the cornerstone of your life of worship, everything will be a train wreck. Jeremiah says, don't trust, letter A, do not trust in your own wisdom. Not everything that crosses your mind is from on high. Did you know that? Just because you think of it, just because it comes from deep inside of you, does not make it right or true. All that we think, all that our hearts hope for as human beings need to be measured against uh, objective truth found in the Word of God. Our hearts should not be initially trusted. Here's what Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. 
The heart is what, church? Your own heart can steer you wrong. Did you know that? Your heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts cannot be trusted, untethered from the Word of God. Our own wisdom has to be soaked in the wisdom of God's Word and submitted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we run the risk of even deceiving ourselves, thinking it's true, it's true for you, right? How many of y'all have heard that? Pursue your own what? Pursue your own truth. There's like, it's not your own truth. It's just truth. It's subjective. And if it's true, it's true for all people, not just your truth. And mine's different than yours. That's not truth. That's chaos. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, and by the way, the Corinthian church was planted in a, in a culture much like ours. And he says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. In other words, those who are not Christians, it's craziness, it's folly. But to those who are saved, it's the power of God. Now let me stop here for a minute before I read on. How many of you, if you're my age or older, you probably remember this, but when I was a kid, even if you weren't, didn't consider yourself a Christian, you considered a person going to the church to be a good thing, right? How many of y'all kind of remember that worldview? Like, that was my worldview growing up. Well, now the culture is so shifted that it sees the church, especially a Bible-believing church that doesn't waver on some of the particular left or right turns that the culture's taking, saying, no, that's not true. We're going to follow the Word of God. It's true. The world now looks at that kind of church and actually is starting to use language like, no, that's a hate crime to even say that. To, to even land on a particular sin, calling it a particular sin. And so we now, we're kind of serving and ministering in a culture that as we hold up the Word of God as true, the, the world's going, man, that is foolishness. That's crazy talk. And by the way, and, and one of the things that, and why we're not going to waver at Coastal on the Word of God being true, because God blesses that. There's a reason why we have five and soon to be six growing campuses because we continue to hold up the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and we don't waver and God's doing something in the community that I've never been more excited about. Amen, church? So, so we don't feel because the word of God does not return void. It's going to be true not just today but forever and ever. It's unbroken and unyielding, right? So Paul says, the word of the cross is folly, those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I, I like to call 1 Corinthians 1 and, and what Jeremiah says here in Jeremiah 9, I call it opposite world, and I get that from a movie. Uh, I don't know if this is still a thing. When my kids were little, it was a thing. How, is Cars still a thing? Do the kids still watch Cars? Yes? Okay, good. Yeah, Cars, right? I love Cars. I've, I've based a lot of my life on Cars, actually. So um, there's a great scene in Cars where Doc Hudson, the old race car, grumpy old race car, he races the cocky, you know, proud Lightning McQueen on the dirt track, and they get to the left-hand turn, 
and Lightning McQueen's going full throttle, and he goes, turns left, and he skids off of the track and out into the desert, right? How many of y'all remember that scene? And Doc Hudson's going real slow, and he's laughing at him. And then later in the movie, Lightning McQueen, Doc Hudson kind of spying on Lightning McQueen, finds that he's trying to figure out how to make this left-hand turn at a high speed. And after he flies off the track again, Doc Hudson, trying to give some wisdom to the young Lightning McQueen, says, listen, when you hit the turn, you got to turn your wheels right to go left. And then you bank the back end of your car around the turn. And Lightning McQueen, in his cockiness, what does he say? He says, oh, that's a great idea. Like, this is opposite world. Think, turn right to go left. Anybody remember that scene? Right? He's going on and on. He's like, and I thank you so much. Oh, wait, it's opposite world. No, thank you. You know, because that means that he goes off on this opposite world. And I love that scene because if you're a Christian living in this world, you live in opposite world. Because Jesus said, you want to gain your life, you got to give it away. That doesn't make any... You, you're relate, if you're sitting here putting yourself on the throne of your heart, and then you get married, and you come home and you say, listen, it, like I'm at the center of the universe. You're going to have some marriage challenges. I'll just tell you that right now, okay? But opposite world is, hey, I'm, I'm here to serve. Opposite world is, I come to church, and I start singing, and you would think by singing to a higher being of the God of the Bible that I would, like, it would drain me somehow. But in opposite world, as you sing to the Lord, something strange happens. What happens inside, right? You get encouraged. All the worries you came in with kind of melt away. Suddenly the stress of the life just gets easier. What is that about? It's opposite world. Opposite world, God's way is you have to give to receive. It's opposite world. And if Christ and God is not the center of your world, it's not going to make any sense. Don't trust in your own wisdom, the world's of wisdom. Trust in the Lord's wisdom. Let her be. Don't trust in your own strength, right? Your own strength and your own power will let you down. Listen, as I've grown older, and some of you guys that are my age or older, you'll know this to be true. Maybe you've processed it this way. Maybe you haven't. But I remember I used to like sports, and I used to be a little bit athletic. And in my 20s, I was athletic. And then something started happening in my early 30s. I would go out and do a sport, and I'd be like, oh, my goodness, I just pulled a hamstring. Like, what's that about, you know? Or, man, I tore a calf muscle, and I'd come home, and I'd rest for a couple weeks in my early 30s, and I'd be back out there. And then in my late 30s, it started happening almost every time I played a sport, right? And then you would start, you'd come home, you'd ice up for week, and you'd be like, I'm out for six weeks now, right? And then you're icing, you're trying to figure out what's going on. And then in your early 40s, same thing, you tear a muscle and you come home and you're laying on the couch with your ice pack and you start to think, I'm not sure if this is worth it, right? And, uh, and so somewhere in your early 40s to mid 40s, you begin saying no to sports and you start in your late 40s going, man, look at the kids go. They're so fast. They're so fast and I really can't wait for the cornhole tournament because that's the last thing I can really do, you know? So... Uh, because our strength wears that we can't trust in our own strength, right? And, and the truth is, like, our bodies are weak. And, and, and from a corporate level or a cultural level, the Scriptures even warn us to tr not to trust in our military strength. 
Listen, if you're you serving our military, you're one of our military men and women, I thank God for you. Your service to this country is great, and we should have a strong military, and I could give you all my you know, thoughts on that, but it doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, the military is not our trust. History is full of weaker militaries that have beaten larger militaries because of the weather changed. Yes? That's why Psalm 20, 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but man, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Don't trust in your strength or what the world says, that's strong or that isn't strong. We, we have to trust in the word of God. Don't trust in riches, letter C, right? Don't trust in riches, says, the, says Jer- Jeremiah. The rich man shouldn't boast in its riches. It's amazing to me how quickly wealth can vanish. As the pastor of this church, I have now pastored through 2001, 2008, at least three recessions that I can think of. And uh, it's amazing to me how quickly wealth can vanish. I mean, amazing. 2008, 50% haircut in a week, couple weeks. 2020, I forget what it was. It was, it was like, I think it may have been more than that, maybe 60%. Boom. Just like that. Some of you are like, man, I'm really getting nervous about my 401k, okay? Listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't invest. I think, I think that we should invest. But, but our hope is not in wealth. Proverbs 23, the author of Proverbs says this in verse 4. Do not toil. And by the way, toil is a, is a different word than work. Toil is the idea that working to build wealth is an idol. Like, like you're sacrificing your family, you're working too much, it's, it's out of balance, disproportionate. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist, for when your eyes light on it, in other words, when your eyes are fixed on wealth, it is gone. Listen to this picture. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Man, if you think your world is built on wealth, it can grow wings and fly away like that. How encouraged are you this morning, right? And that's great. I'm so glad I've got this savings account. And by the way, God does, he calls us to work. We're not to be lazy as Christians. We're to work hard and we're to earn and provide for our families. We're to live within our means. I could go to lots and lots of Bible verses about this. We're to live within our means and have a little bit left over to share in case someone has a need. And tithe to our local church. So when I sit here and say, man, when I celebrate what God is doing in the life of Coastal and the, and the souls that God's bringing to this church to steward, it's all of, the reason I want to celebrate, it's all of us together as a church. Church is not a building, right? The church is us as the people. And we pull our time and our talent and our treasures together, linking arms together as brothers and sisters in Christ to exalt the gospel of Jesus Christ because we're better together for the gospel, right? And so tithing is part of that. So we're to work, we're to provide, we're to earn, we're to live within our means, we're to share, we're to tithe. And by the way, I could build Bible verses for this too. And we're to store up. Right? We are to save. Like there's a, you know, all throughout the Proverbs, we see these various animals. You know, look at the whatever, the squirrels. They're saving nuts. That's what you should do, kind of thing. I don't think that's the point of the Proverbs, but it's the idea. You know, like that's what we're supposed to do. But if it's captured our heart and it consumes us, like the eagle, like the bird that flies away, 
there is no hope in our wealth if God's not protecting it. Amen? And so our trust is in the Lord. We don't, we don't live with self on the throne, with worldly wisdom, worldly strength, and worldly wealth. Number two, so, so what, do we, what needs to be at the corner of our worship? It's got to be the God of the Bible. Point number two, God is our cornerstone. If we're going to build a life and healthy relationships as the overflow of life, God has got to be at the cornerstone. Jeremiah says, verse nine, chapter 9, verse 24, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's going to be the two points, the sub-points here. That he both understands and knows me. All right, let's stop there. Understands, letter A. The idea of understanding God is that we worship the God of who is, not the God of our making. And so Jeremiah is saying, God is saying through Jeremiah, I need you to understand who I am. Right? Remember when Moses was told to take the people out of Egypt? And he, and he says, who, who, should I, who should I say is sending me, God? I, I am. Just tell him, I'm sending you. I'm self-existent, self-evident. The God who is, is I am. We worship the God who is, and he, he gives us some of his character in just a moment, but he's holy, he's, he's without sin. We, we, don't, we don't make up the God who is. That's our own God. That's an idol. We, we look to objective truth of the word of God, and we worship the God who is. And the God who is will make all of us at some points uncomfortable because we're sinners, and he doesn't leave us or want to leave us in our sin because sin leaves us in bondage. And God gave us his very best gift, his one and only son, Jesus. And so God is holy. He's without sin. He can't have sin in his presence, which means he can't have you and I in his presence, apart from him doing something supernatural. And what is the supernatural thing he did? He gave his son. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross in our place where God poured out his wrath and hatred for your sin and my sin on Jesus instead of on us. And then he bodily rose from the grave, authenticating his claims as being the only way to God. And so if we're going to know the God who is, the only way we can do that is to know him through Jesus Christ. He's the rescue plan that God sent to save us from our sin. And so Jesus said some two things, and I say this all the time, but this morning I wanted to show you the Bible verses. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this about himself. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's talking about our life here on earth. Like if we don't do things Jesus' way, we're going to be in bondage. What did Jesus say about knowing the truth? He said, you will know the truth and the truth will do something for you. Well, it will set you free, right? And so the opposite then would also be true. If we build our life on, a, on the wrong foundation, then we're building on a lie. We're building on something that's untrue. And if we're building on something that's untrue, then it's leading to bondage. It's not leading to freedom. It's why our culture, at a cultural level, we're experiencing more and more laws, more and more, this is what it is, this is what you can or can't do, because once we move off the foundation of the God of the Bible, which the God of the Bible teaches us to self-govern so that we don't need so much government to help us keep the society straight, but now we moved off that and each person's living their own truth, 
it requires more and more laws for the government to step in. I was telling somebody this week, I said, the reason that you'll hear me touch a little bit more on politics is not that I get up here and want to be political. It's because the government has become religious by telling us what to do in all of our lives. Everybody with me on that? And so there's times where I have to preach the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this and the government's saying this. They're two different things. Opposite world. And so until we know Christ, we can't experience the abundant life that the Lord has for us here on the planet. And secondly, John 11, Jesus says he's the eternal life, right? He says, I'm the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's eternal life. And so we have to worship the God who is, not the God that we want, or all of our relationships will be broken. And we can't know and worship the God who is apart from knowing our condition of sin, the character of God, and our need to be saved from the penalty of our sin. And so till Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the cornerstone of your life, None of your earthly relationships will make any sense. Why? Because you're building on the wrong foundation. You're building on the foundation of the wisdom of man. You're building on the strength of man. You're building on the riches of man. And all of those are faulty and shifting foundations. And so we have to understand, and you're going to do that through the word of God, through coming to church, through coming to small groups, uh, to, to understand the God who is. And then letter B, we have to know this God. And we think that know and understand are one and the same, but not biblically, okay? The word know in the Bible is a word of intimacy, right? And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, the same word here for to know God in Jeremiah is the same word used in Genesis 4, 23, where the Bible says, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and gave birth to a son, so if you're sitting here going, I don't really understand what you mean by that. Okay, ask your dad or mom on the way home. All right, Adam knew his wife. She got pregnant. It's, there's an intimacy to the word knowledge in Scripture, right? And so the idea is we understand who God is. We, we worship the God who is according to the Scriptures, and we know him. There's a relational intimacy. I, I might call it worship of the God of the Bible. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 12. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. To know the God of the Bible is to worship him with your heart, meaning the seed of your being, your soul, the seed of your existence, your mind, the way that you think, that you know God's truth and you adjust your life to God's truth and your strength meaning that you serve the Lord with your time, your talent, and your treasure. It's, all, it's worship to the Lord, which leads to my third point this morning. We must, which is an overflow of what I just said, we must worship the God who is. And his character is now laid out for us. So check this out, Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And then he defines some of his character. It's not all of it, but some of it. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. So this God of the Bible is a God of love. Listen, you can't love others. You can't be a loving person on the planet until you first are transformed for the God who defines love because he is love. He's loved us in Christ. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be unpacking 1 John this summer, but 1 John 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is from what, church? And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If your worship, if self is on the throne, you're going to define what love is, and it's not going to be love because it's going to be the opposite of what God is. God is love, and if we're going to love others, it starts with, man, my heart, I have to be a worshiper of the God of the Bible. You will not rightly know how to love others until you know the God of the Bible who is love. Letter B, our God is just. In a spiritual sense, he's just. There's a big Bible word. Some of y'all probably know this word. It's called propitiation. How many have ever heard of the word propitiation? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's, it's the idea that, <clears throat> that God, if he simply forgave our sin, just waved his hand, your sin's forgiven. Now it's free to us in the gospel of Jesus. Forgiveness of God is free to us in the gospel of Jesus. But it's not free. God just waved his hand and said, everybody's sins is forgiven. That would lack justice. And so in order for God to also be a God of justice, he substituted his son, Jesus, on the cross who bore God's wrath and hatred for your sin and my sin on our behalf. His propitiation, he's a just God. And he expects us to, be, to pursue and live out justice. Psalm 82, 2 says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. James chapter 1 says it this way. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Listen, the overflow of the cornerstone being the gospel of Jesus, the foundation being built on the God who is, we worship the God who is, that when we build our lives on this foundation, one of the overflows is we care for people that are hurting. We'll get into that in two weeks, right? Because God is a God of justice, and he cares for those that are hurting. The New Testament often uses the language like the least of these, people that are suffering around us. And so at Coastal, we have a lot of meeting needs ministries, and it's fueled by the gospel, cornerstone of the gospel of Jesus on the foundation of the God who is. He's a God of justice, and he cares for the orphan and the widow, right? So we, 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 we support CareNet because we want to protect the preborn. Is there anyone on the planet that needs more protection and more innocent than the baby in the womb? We have a culture that's killing 3,000 a day a day, a day. Can you imagine if there was enough planes dropping out of the sky every day that 3,000 people died every day on the plane? The FAA, the FAA would raise their hand and go, wait a minute, we got, we got problems. So we protect the preborn, right? We have a food pantry. Just served, yes, so many of you guys serving yesterday. Incredible, right? We have a gift ministry. We have a benevolence fund. If you're a member of the church and you have a, a financial need, our benevolence fund's here to help you. We want to help you. We have Peninsula Rescue Mission. We coats. We get winter coats. We, we, we had you last, our Chesapeake campus, 
got to serve Ukrainian refugees in Chesapeake, if you can even imagine, and did a great ministry to them. And a bunch of them showed up last week Easter service to hear the gospel. I could go on and on and on, but these are the idea that I know the God of the Bible, and he tells me to care for the needy, and we don't just pass by them. Okay. Number three, I'll move quickly. God is righteous. It means he's holy, right? He's without sin. And so we're going to grow in holiness and righteousness. First Peter 1 Peter 1.16 says, you shall be holy for I am holy. Like if we know the God who is, we're going to grow to be like the God who is. And imagine if you're growing in holiness and righteousness, how that would change your marriage. Like your marriage would be, your workplace would be different if we're growing in holiness and righteousness. And so number four, like once we worship, once our hearts are captured by worship, in worship to the God who is, we then, number four, begin to love what God loves. Because Jeremiah 9, 24 finishes this way. He said, after naming his character, I'm a God of love, justice, and righteousness. He says, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Listen. This God of justice, who is a God of justice, if you were up here serving the food pantry yesterday, like God delights that you took time out to do that. Isn't that cool? Because you know the God of the Bible, and you say, man, I want to help serve others. So you're, you're actually, have you ever heard a politician say this? I can do politics, and I can set my beliefs aside and just do politics. You ever heard anybody that, that kind of person actually kind of scares me. I would actually rather you say, this is what I believe, and it shapes everything about me. Amen? Listen, I'm a Christian. It shapes everything about me. It shapes my calendar. It shapes my checkbook. It shapes the way I speak. It shapes my marriage. It shapes my parenting. It shapes my pastoring. It shapes my workplace. It's I'm growing, and it's shaping my driving. Uh, you know, like, it shapes everything. Like, we're in process. Because you're shaped by the affections of your heart. You're not going to love sacrificially until you're shaped by the God of the Bible. You're not going to love justice and care for the needy until you're shaped by the God of the Bible. You're not going to pursue holiness and righteousness until you're shaped by the God of the Bible. And all of that starts by building on the right foundation. And it starts by foundations the God of the Bible with the cornerstone. You can't even believe and connect to the God of the Bible until you first know Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins and you believe in God's rescue plan. I want to invite the worship team out. I want to close with this story. Uh, when my wife and I first got married, we moved to Fort Myers, Florida, and we lived in this refurbished little one-room house. This house was built in the 1900s. It was actually the first schoolhouse, one-room schoolhouse uh, of the Fort Myers area. And so Jen, my wife's grandfather owned it. He had refurbished it, and we lived in it for a year until we went to seminary. And so we'd just gotten married, and Jen had gotten, my wife had gotten all these little knickknacks from our marriage. And we went out and bought a shelf, and she wanted to put these knickknacks on the wall. And so I get out. You know, it's my first chance to be handy. I'm not handy. I should have even hired somebody to do this. I should have learned this, but I, I'm like, I'm going to show her what a great handyman I am. So I get my little level out, and I hang the shelf, and I put the knickknacks on the shelf, and we step back. She comes home that day, and she looks at it, and guess what she says? Shelf's crooked. I'm like, that's not possible, right? So I get my level out, and I put the level on it, 
and it's perfectly level. What was the problem? The house was crooked, right? And so I kept saying, no, honey, it's right. And we got, it was like, it's like our first argument. No, it's not level, you know, it's level. And so guess what I did? I adjusted the shelf to be crooked. That's what I did, right? It's fine. The world is building on a foundation over here. And the house is crooked. And by the way, that little, this little house built in the 1900s, as the foundation shifts and it's crooked, it may take another 100 years, but it's just a matter of time until the house collapses, right? You can't, you can't be crooked forever and ever and ever. And so what's going to happen is the world looks like this, and you're, as a Christian, you're going to come home and say, but the Bible says we build our marriages and they look like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You better die to self, and you better serve and sacrifice for your wife. And all the women are like, amen. <laughs> Here's what gets un culturally uncomfortable. And the Bible says, Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands, not because he's got it all together, but as unto the Lord. It's an act of worship to God to build your home this way. And this is what the Bible says. This is level. And the world's going to look at that. Some of you, even right now, are thinking in your heart, that looks crooked to me. Aren't you? Now, it's not crooked if a man would do what a man's supposed to do. It's not crooked if we do it the way God intended, but the world's going to say, man, that, that's out of kilter. And it's because we're trying to hang a shelf on a faulty foundation. And so here's my prayer for you as we talk about relationships. I want you to build on the right foundation. The rest of it won't make sense until you do. Amen, church? I know many of you are, and some of you are investigating. I'm glad you're here. And, uh, and so with that, I'm going to invite the prayer team up. Prayer team, come on up under the screens. Listen, the weeks get hard. Maybe you had a hard week this week. You just need somebody to pray with you. Never, never leave Coastal without someone praying with you. Man, we love the ministry to you in prayer. And uh, let's bow our heads and pray, and let's go out singing this morning. As we as a church say, hey, you know what? This week, we want to be captured by God. We want to build on the right foundation. Heavenly Father, what a great morning to worship you. God, all of us have sin in our lives, and all of us, even as Christians, God, we're in process. And anytime we're sinning, God, we're building on the, right, the wrong foundation, and we want to build on the right foundation. A God of love, a God of justice, a God of righteousness, God, help us to be molded by you, by your spirit, by your word, by community, God, Christian community, that we can build our lives on the right foundation. Because when we do, we're building on a foundation that lasts forever. It's a foundation that will not fall over. It's a building that will not crumble. Because you're, you, oh God, you and your word are sure. And we want to build on a foundation that lasts forever. And so as the culture does a hard left, God, we're, we're trying to follow hard after you. So give us the courage and the strength to stand on the word and build relationships that honor you. And it's in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen.